Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. It's pretty incredible to see the explosion in interest in botanical-style aquariums in the last, even the last several months. I mean, it's been years, but really the last several months has been crazy. Uh, to call this stuff a trend is just simply to sell it too short. Uh, nature abhors trends, and so do I, by the way. And the idea of using botanicals and seed pods and so forth in aquariums is actually an extremely natural process. Yet, it's a lot different than what we're used to, right? Now, I realize that a lot of newcomers to our side of the fence are simply not sure if this stuff is for them. Many are drawn to the, you know, overall aesthetic, but are still put off by the idea of stuff decomposing in their aquariums, about fungal growths, biofilms, and detritus. There are things which go against the grain of aquarium keeping, of everything that we've been taught, and these are definitely some of them. Everything that we've been indoctrinated to believe tells us the tank should be clear and you know, uh, you know, no algae, no, no biofilms, none of this stuff. And I think one of the most important themes that we need to continuously revisit is what we've called the mental shift that we as hobbyists must make when working with a botanical style black water aquarium. Now, it sounds a bit, well, dramatic, but we've all come to realize that botanical style aquariums have a sort of a different operating system, literally and figuratively, than pretty much any other type of aquatic system that you've keep. Not that there's some big mystery or secret to keeping one. Like any aquarium, you simply need to understand, appreciate, and yeah, enjoy the characteristics, the phases, and the nuances of this type of system. Most immediately obvious is the color of the water. In many, not all, botanical-style aquariums, the water sports a significant tint. It's just something that you, as a newcomer to this world, have to really fundamentally get used to. Now, sure, you can use botanicals in an aquarium and not have a blackwater-like or, or pairing-like blackwater uh, type of environment. You could certainly use activated carbon or other chemical filtration media to remove the water-tinting tannins from the aquarium while still retaining much of the beneficial humic substances. But for most of us, brown is a foregone conclusion. It's what brought us you know, to this dark side in the first place. We're totally fine with it. It's the game. That being said, there is a certain look to the water in a black water or a botanical style aquarium which goes beyond the color. It's a sort of patina, if you will, or a subtle variation in the way light plays upon the surface. You compare your black water tank to a white water system and it becomes immediately obvious that there is a radical difference. Water aesthetics aside, perhaps the toughest part of the mental shift for many is the understanding that botanical materials break down in the water column as they impart tannins and other substances into the environment. The well-manicured aquascape that you may have conceived will be continuously reshaped by nature as the leaves, the seed pods, and the other botanical materials are broken down by bacterial and fungal action. Now, to many, this is a huge and remarkable departure aesthetic-wise from the more controlled, high-concept, planted so-called nature aquarium, which has been extolled for much of the past two decades. On the other hand, the transient nature of the botanicals is the very embodiment of Takashi Amano's Japanese garden-derived appreciation for wabi-sabi, or the acceptance of the beauty of a state of transience and imperfection. Don't believe me? Look that shit up. It's right there. This is huge. And then there are the fungal growths and biofilms. Ah, biofilms. Yes, the lovely coatings of bacterial material that soon begin to appear after your botanicals have been submerged for a little bit of a time. The appearance of biofilms is a sort of a stage, or even a rite of passage, if you will, which almost every botanical-style aquarium goes through. And yeah, they're present throughout the functional life of all of these aquariums. And we tell our community over and over again that this is a completely normal, completely natural occurrence. 
bacteria and other microorganisms taking advantage of a perfect substrate upon which to grow and reproduce, just like in nature. Freshly added botanicals offer a mother load of organic material and surface area for these biofilms to propagate upon. And there's occasionally, you know, a lot of them. And that's what happens, just like in nature. Now, their presence does wax and wane to some extent. That's the product of botanical bioload. Yet they're always there, as they are in natural habitats. And making the effort to understand and even appreciate their appearance is a sign that your aquarium is functioning as nature intended is the biggest step in achieving what can only be called aquatic enlightenment. The realization that nature, as we see it and experience it, is not a pristine orderly environment like we've conjured up in our stylized aquariums and global aquascaping contests, it's perhaps the most difficult thing for the aspiring tinter to grasp. We've been indoctrinated for so long to think that this is the way nature is and the definition of a successful, well-conceived or otherwise healthy and clean system is one that consists of perfectly symmetrical, intentionally placed or trimmed plants, pearly white sand and impeccably clean driftwood. Of course, the reality is that this is just one aesthetic and that nature rarely has such circumstances combining in the same place. Further, it's a world of biofilms, patinas of algae, and random disturbed, you know, botanical debris, scattered rocks, and even wood tangles deposited by currents, rain, and even the fishes themselves settling into positions that typically defy the golden ratio and other human-created constructs. I know that much love in modern aquascaping is given to things like surgical cleanliness, manicured plants, carefully symmetrical rock work, proportion, negative space, etc., etc. Many of the most breathtaking contest scapes adeptly embrace this concept. That's awesome. It's all well and good. Nature, on the other hand, couldn't give a flying fuck about that, and neither should you. Ouch. Yeah, it's true, though. Tough love there. Newsflash, what we proffer our interpretation of nature is not everyone's idea of a dreamy aquarium. Frankly, it just puts off some people, scares the living shit out of others, and many just don't understand. They can't get past brown, soupy water decomposition and, and all the good stuff that goes with it. In my humble opinion, they've been sort of programmed by the world of aquascaping contests that perfectly clean sand, bright lighting, rock shit could eat off of, and would that on day 45 looks just as sterile as the day it was submerged are the only way to go. Oh, wait a second. Don't those guys usually break down their tanks by day 45? Maybe it's day 30, but whatever. Fellman, that's just mean. Yeah, I guess it is. But it's okay. I get it. We all get it. That's the mental shift you have to make when you're going to play with botanical-style aquariums in their purest sense. So how do you transi transition you know, to a blackwater or botanical-style aquarium? Well, um, that's part of the game. It starts with a few simple questions. And I think that's kind of fundamental. A lot of what we do here involves questions. We ask questions of ourselves. We ask questions of, you know, the aquarium and we ask questions of nature. The obvious questions that we need to ask ourselves when committing, you know, commencing such a change are, do the fish that I keep come from this type of environment in nature? And am I willing to take the time to do it slowly? The answer to the first question is pretty obvious and it's almost sort of insulting that I didn't even mention it, but you know, due diligence, whatever. My personal recommendation though is to start with relatively small quantities of materials, usually leaves, and then work in the more durable materials like seed pods and such. I guess that my process is that, you know, such things like leaves tend to break down more quickly, imparting their humic acids and tannins to the water at a corresponding pace. And this kind of gets you used to the whole idea of stuff breaking down. And of course, after your initial additions, you should measure pH again to see if there has been any impact. A lot of hobbyists are into checking TDS as well. Well, we've beaten that subject up quite a bit in past blogs here. 
and discussed it a lot in you know forums and so forth. So it's something you might want to research. There's people that could probably explain that concept way better than I can. Obviously, the question here is, how much stuff do I start with? And of course, my answer is, I have no idea. Yeah, what a shocker, right? I realize that's the least satisfying, probably the least helpful offer, I, uh, you know, answer I can give in, in to this question. Or is it? I mean, taking into account all of the possible variables, ranging from the type of water you're starting with to what kind of substrate material you're using, it would just be a shot in the dark at best. My advice is to start with conservatively small quantities of stuff, like maybe a dozen leaves for every 15 U.S. gallons, which is about 57 liters of water. You might not even notice any difference, or you might see a 0.2 reduction in pH. You have to test. I recommend a digital pH meter for best accuracy. I do. Uh, liquid reagents are a little tricky. I would make it a habit to add the same amount of materials, leaves initially, and then pods if you want to mix them in on subsequent additions, at a regular interval, say every four or five days. Test again. See where you're at. I would tend to shoot for not reducing your pH by more than 0.5 per week. Now, that's me, of course. Your fish's tolerance and your personal comfort level with doing stuff like this is totally your call. And it's really a matter of repeating the process until you hit your desired range. Notice I said desired range and not target pH or whatever. And remember, as we've said a million times here, botanicals cannot soften hard water. Their influence on pH is significantly limited in water with high carbonate hardness. So this is really important. You don't just dump leaves into the tank and get instant Amazon. Yes, you'll get dark water because tannins don't necessarily affect the pH. You'll get tinted water even in 8.5 pH. It happens all the time. But truly acidic, truly black water requires some specific, you know, specific chemical characteristics, which we've talked about before and we'll no doubt talk about again. And we receive a lot of questions about stuff like utilizing chemical filtration media when adding botanicals. And again, there's no right or wrong thing here. I'll tell you from my personal experience that I use filtration materials like Seachem Renew, which is a carbon subs you know, substitute. I've used activated carbon. And in fact, Seachem, which is a great company that makes a lot of the, the, the filtration media that we use, Seachem recommends a product called Hypersorb, which is, a believe, a synthetic absorbent resin uh, that you might want to check out. It actually preserves some of the tint, but will take out other organics. So kind of an interesting product that we, I encourage experimentation with. I also use a material called Polyfilter, which is a, made by a company called Polybiomarine, which is a, it's like a polyester pad, but it has a certain charge to it and it takes out certain organics and stuff. And it can remove uh, some tint to the water, but I use it on a full-time basis and I, I don't see a, a huge reduction in tint. That's just me. Um, the reality is that organic scavenger resins, carbons, and other materials like Renew might be indiscriminate in the removal of stuff like humic substances, tannins, and other organic compounds released by the botanicals, but they also tend to moderate things you don't want, like ammonia and you know, miscellaneous organics. How's that for a cop-out? Falling back on generics here, but, but they're good. I'd rather use chemical filtration media than not. That's just me. We toss a lot of botanical materials, i.e. bioload, into our aquariums, all of which break down and require a bacterial population to process it. Why not have some chemical filtration as an insurance policy to remove some potential excess organics and all that stuff that will place a significant burden on the bacterial population? And again, bacterial populations, as we're going to talk about over the coming months, are extremely important. The, the whole ecosystem that we're creating, they're extremely important to a botanical-style aquarium. Now again, back to the uh, filtration media. They might remove some of the visual tint, but they'll remove a lot less of it if you don't use the recommended you know, dose of how many pads or ounces or whatever per gallon or liter or whatever. And frankly, I've never done a serious test to see exactly how much of what various chemical filtration media actually remove from the water. Being honest here, I'll bet not many of you haven't either, but I've got to be honest, I, I use it full time. I, my tanks are as dark as anybody's and they look great. 
Uh, so we're kind of relying on the manufacturer's instructions and good old observation. Now, don't worry about the tint these materials will remove if they're used in moderation. Trust me, the water in most of my tanks is pretty damn dark despite full-time utilization of these media. And it's the same for a lot of you. If you're getting the feeling that this whole game is hardly a scientific, highly choreographed, one-size-fits-all process, you're totally right. It's really a matter of, as one of the great hobbyists of our time, uh, author and aquarist John Tulloch once wrote, it's really a matter of test and tweak. In other words, see what the hell is going on before making adjustments. Logical and time-tested aquarium procedure for any type of tank. Now, the interesting thing that I've always found with my botanical style and blackwater aquariums is that they tend to find their own equilibrium of sorts, a stable operating range that once you find yourself doing the same procedures, i.e. regular consistent water changes, additions of botanicals, media replacements, etc., once you find yourself doing those at regular intervals, it tends to remain highly consistent as long as you keep them up. I've talked repeatedly about the, in my opinion, mostly unwarranted, about the fears people have about precipitous pH drops and crashes and stuff like that. And I believe that most, if not all of these things are mitigated by consistency, patience, taking small steps, testing regularly, documenting, and repeating these steps. I've said it before and I'll repeat it again. I believe that pretty much every one of the anomalous pH crashes or disasters I've heard of in regards to blackwater botanical style aquariums has been directly attributable to operator error. In other words, failing to be consistent, diligent, and conservative. Tanks simply don't crash by themselves in my experience. I've kept fish since I could walk. I've never had a tank just crash. They fail as a result of something we did or did not do not do. I don't care what any author, any company, any expert on aquariums tells you. Tanks do not crash on their own. That's a bullshit cop out in my excuse. And I'm sounding hard and I'm coming in with some heat on this because I'm tired of people seeing in forums, people saying, your tank will crash if you do this. Your tank will, your tank will crash if you do something stupid. A tank will not crash on its own. Nature is very efficient at what it does. And things occur in nature because circumstances arise which part of nature can take, you know, take advantage of. You have to understand what you're doing. This is not a throw some package of leaves in the tank and walk away thing. It's just not. They fail as a result of something we did or did not do. Failure to slow down, failure to measure, failure to observe or continue to follow procedures that have been giving us consistently good results. In my experience, tanks will typically show signs, develop trends and demonstrate the manifestation of you know, issues gradually. If you're attuned to them, you gotta look at your tanks. Botanical style blackwater aquariums are not set and forget systems. Exactly like reef aquariums, planted high-tech tanks, and Buna systems, distance tanks, etc. You need to observe and you need to pivot as situations dictate. A sort of yin and yang, if you will, between pushing the limits and playing it safe. And you have to ask yourself if this type of active tank management lifestyle is for you. Because failure to move thoughtfully, slowly, and deliberately, testing and tweaking along the way, along with time-tested common sense application of aquarium management technique, can result in you killing every fish in your aquarium with botanicals. That's simple reality. So just don't be stupid or lazy and you'll be fine. Okay, you're getting the idea. The second question that, I, that people ask, the one about taking the time to do it slowly, is to me more interesting. In fact, as we say here in America, it's the whole ball game. I guess they say it everywhere in the world to some extent, but yeah. Patience, observation, and time. These are the most essential ingredients for the botanical style aquarium game. And there's one fact. It goes without saying that if you've been keeping your fishes, even ones which come from blackwater conditions in nature, in harder, more alkaline water, there will need to be a gradual transition back to this type of environment. It goes without saying that rapid environmental changes are potentially harmful to many fishes, no matter what the ultimate goal is. Now, in the bigger picture, 
I'm of the opinion that even, you know, for example, tetras and other fishes which may have been bred commercially in tap water, you know, hard alkaline conditions, not necessarily soft and acidic, for decades, could still benefit from being repatriated into more natural conditions. I really believe that. I have a hard time thinking that millions of years of evolution has somehow been wiped out in, you know, a few generations. I could be wrong, and I'm sure there's maybe some scientific evidence to the contrary. I don't know, but I haven't seen any compelling arguments to that case. However, you're still putting them through an environmental change, and this requires time. Where do you begin? Well, you start by seeing where you are, getting your bearings, so to speak. I'd start by doing a sort of baseline assessment of the pH and alkalinity of my water. Digital meters, as I mentioned before, are a great investment that'll make accurate monitoring of your water very easy and economical. You should also give some thought about what your target pH and alkalinity are to be. If you're using tap water with a pH of like 8.2 and considerable carbonate hardness, for example, you need to, re, you know, to consider how you might bring these measurements down. And you should, in my opinion, be willing to make the infrastructure investment, pricey though it may be, in a reverse osmosis deionization unit, or at least finding a good consistent source of RODI water, like many fish stores, which will sell you that by the gallon or liter. The rationale here is that it's far, far easier to reduce the pH in water with little or no carbonate hardness. It's more malleable, a better canvas upon which to work. If you aren't using RODI water in your current setup, you could even start gradually mixing some in without adjusting or adding anything with your regular water exchanges. Arguably, this may help you to gradually lower the carbonate hardness and pH, yet it's going to take a long time. Ultimately, the idea is to replace all the water in your tank with RODI. Patience is essential. Slow steps. If you can get your water to around neutral, that's a great stepping off point for modifications to lower pH levels. Oh, there are other considerations too, like substrate. For example, if you're using a substrate which has considerable buffering capacity, then it's likely you'll either need to replace it or accept the fact that you will likely not achieve super soft acidic conditions. It's going to be a struggle. Now again, speaking of pH, I wouldn't shoot for the stars and try to get to, you know, 5.5 five or something really low right out of the blocks. For that matter, I wouldn't obsess over any specific target number either. Rather, I'd find a tight range that you could easily maintain that you're happy with that your fishes do well under. With the understanding that you need to do this over a period of weeks or even months, I'd shoot for a modest pH level of like 6.7 to 6.5 as your target range. Get a feel for operating a tank under these conditions and, you know, maintaining them consistently. Once you've got a sort of handle on the pH and alkalinity and gotten them in range, you can begin that slow process of fine-tuning your habitat. Now you might be, as I often am, surprised to find that botanicals and leaves, while impactful somewhat on pH, will drop levels much more slowly and to a lesser extent than you might think. Again, we were taken by that dark water and that, that makes us think a lot more is going on there. And if you have harder alkaline water, the impact will be even more minimal or even undetectable. As we've mentioned many, many times, and I'll say it one more time again, the impact on carbonate hardness from botanicals and leaves is essentially nothing. They won't accomplish softening of water. It's a myth that's been erroneously ascribed to them for decades. The study of basic water chemistry will bury this myth once and for all and make you realize that ion exchange is the only way to accomplish this. You simply need to utilize other methods to reduce carbonate hardness, like the aforementioned use of RODI, before even starting to add the botanicals and leaves if your goal is to reduce the pH of your system with them. It's common sense. The other probably insultingly obvious thing to be aware of is that even if the water looks dark brown, it's not necessarily 6.3 and 0 kh. I mean, tannins will stain the water in the absence of chemical filtration media to remove them. They, might, they may not you know, significantly impact the pH, but you'll get that visual tint. And I know many hobbyists are perfectly happy with that, and that's fine. And let's talk about the idea that tannins and humic substances are in water for a second. We know that they're released into the water as a result of steeping botanical materials into it. 
And yes, there are commercial test kits to measure tannin levels. They're usually used in winemaking and stuff like that. And they will give milligram per liter setups, which are unfortunately of no real use to the hobbyist at the present time. Now, why? Well, because we simply don't have baseline information which hobbyists can interpret about tannin levels and or humans, humic substances in natural habitats, nor any of analysis of which of the hundreds and hundreds of varieties of tannins and humic substances are typically found in most blackwater environments in nature. At this time, we simply have to go with the understanding that these you know, compounds are found in natural blackwater aquatic habitats at varying concentrations and combinations. Until further research is completed, interpreted, and analyzed, we still simply have to trust this stuff. We have to just kind of go with as much of our gut as anything else. Yet another reason to study the wild aquatic habitats of the world even more closely. I'm not aware of any studies done on the health impact to, uh, to tropical fishes of tannins and humic substances in harder alkaline environments versus soft acidic ones, so that's also an open topic, really. Not exactly 100% definitive, completely confidence-building stuff, right? I mean, we know that these things are there. We know they're important, but we don't know a whole lot more about them at this point, at least not hobby-wise. And that's not the only challenge, but in my opinion, that's also the, the appeal of this type of aquarium specialty. We all have this opportunity to contribute to the state of the art, to increase our body of knowledge of how these systems operate, to unlock the manifold benefits and potential pitfalls of botanical-style aquarium practice. It's not for everyone. Not everyone likes the look, not everyone likes the work and the effort required, not everybody has the patience, and the lack of a recipe or a complete step-by-step -step guaranteed to work every time thing is daunting to many. We're still at the phase when what we do is much more of an art than it is a science. Now, that's not a bad thing, mind you, it's just something that we need to take into account as we peruse our work. Or, You know, we have tannin to finally begun. Uh, to do some things to, that we think might help uh, make things a little bit easier for everybody. We've developed a product called Shade, which will at least give you some color real easily without having to necessarily have a ton of botanicals in your tank. Uh, and we're going to do a lot of things that are going to, you know, complement the botanical-style aquarium and add some degree of predictability to the game. But there's so much more to do. And again, it's not about finding predictable results. It's about working with what you've got. There's no Dial-O-River solution just yet. And frankly, I'm kind of glad. The fun is in the experimentation, the journey, the self-discovery. I suppose that this piece probably didn't answer all your questions. Rather, I'll bet it opened up quite a few more, spurring you to maybe do some research before starting a botanical-style aquarium. And that's never a bad thing. Stay excited. Stay careful. Stay experimental. Stay diligent. Stay skeptical. Stay helpful. Stay creative. Stay enthralled. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tin.